Peter in verse 1 as a reminder. He says, To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Peter knew that these believers, that they needed to hear these words, they needed to have be reassured in their hearts of their great salvation. You've been chosen. You've been set apart by God. His precious blood continues to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Grace and peace be multiplied to each and every one of you. Peter, he knew that the thing that would compel them forward in the midst of trials and persecution would be their grabbing hold of their glorious salvation. That they would have shouts of praise. Can you imagine as that man, George, stood there in the cesspool singing that song, one of his favorite worship songs. The strength that he gained from the Lord as he worshiped the Lord in the midst of the cesspool. Incredible work of God in a person's life. To be able to be thankful, to be able to worship God, even when things are tough, even when trials mount up in our lives, that we don't lose our joy, that we can still be joyous in heart. My God is on His throne no matter what my circumstances are around me. Peter, in this first chapter, in verses 3 to 9, He looks ahead to the end of our faith. The salvation of our souls. And then in verses 10-12, to Peter looks back to the glorious salvation that God had planned from ages before, from time past. He already had the plan of salvation already marked out. Peter says these are words that my brothers and sisters in Christ need to hear that they need to be reminded of, that they might be encouraged in the face of trials and persecution. These next ten verses, Peter's going to elaborate further on our amazing salvation. He's going to encourage us through the trials and the tribulations that come our way in life. Look what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. As Peter was writing this letter to the churches there in Asia Minor, it's believed 
that Peter was writing this, this letter sometime around 64 A.D. This was the time that Nero had come into power. He was reigning at the time. He was the one that started the persecution in a greater way against the Christian church. History tells us that in 64 A.D., there was a fire that was set there in Rome. And it was called the Great Fire of Rome. It burned for six days and seven nights. It actually consumed two-thirds or three-quarters, excuse me, of the city. It consumed it. And, and people began to say that Nero was the one who started the fire. And he may have. And so Nero, under the accusations against him, he began to persecute Christians. He, began to t- he took the opportunity to, be- to blame it upon the Christians. And there was a wave of martyrdom that came up against the church then. There was a, a young man a Roman historian by the name of Tacitus, who a few years after this event, he wrote this of Nero and his persecution. He, we're told that he made uh, their deaths a subject of his sport. That he covered the bodies of these Christians with hides of wild animal skins, and he threw them out to the the dogs to be consumed. He would take these Christians and he would either nail them to the cross, or when evening came, he would burn them, he would cover them in pitch, and he would actually burn them on the stake in his own garden. These were the, the types of persecution and the the types of suffering that many of these early Christians were experiencing at the time. Peter knew as he wrote this letter that they needed to be encouraged. They needed to be lifted up. They needed to refocus. They needed to keep their eyes set back on their great salvation and set ahead on the salvation that was ahead. We know that Later on in 70 A.D., Titus would come into Jerusalem and would seek to ransack and to kill every Jew that he could get his hands upon. He destroyed the temple. Christians were scattered from Jerusalem. Great persecution was coming upon the church. They say that today that the persecution of the church is greater today than it has ever been. It, ha- it, it hasn't stopped. We're not seeing uh, uh, persecution beginning to slow down. We're actually seeing it to begin to heat up. And as I ask that question, are we ready as a church? Are we ready for the per- persecution that will come even in America? Understanding that the afflictions that we have in life, understanding as a Christian that that Paul considered them light afflictions 
in life compared to the glory that was to come. The various trials that we experience in life as Christians, the sufferings of this present time, that they're all for our good. Do you have that mindset that the things that you go through in life, that God turns those things around for your good? That there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God? There's no trial, tribulation, there's no suffering, not even death itself can separate you from the love of God. That God wants to grow us in times of persecution and suffering. He wants us to have a growing faith. He wants us to have a faith that will endure. That it will be joyous even in the times of suffering and persecution. Our inheritance. It's reserved in heaven for you. It's never going to fade away. It'll never become corrupted. And that's what we hold on to as Christians. In faith, we believe that what's coming is far greater than even the light afflictions that we experience in this life. The Christians of whom Peter was writing were suffering greatly. We have a hope of redemption, don't we? The hope of our redemption. Our glorified bodies that is yet to come. Our glorious inheritance is what should compel us forward in our walks with Christ. Look what Peter says in verse 6. He's wanting again to further encourage his fellow brothers and sisters in their trials. He says, in this, or looking back, because of your final salvation, because of what you have to look forward to, this final salvation that's ready to be revealed to you, he says, then greatly rejoice. Greatly rejoice. In this, let it become your joy in the midst of trials. Let it make your heart glad when trials and sufferings come your way. You see, this is the way that these believers were reading this letter. As Peter was wanting to encourage them in this. Let it encourage your soul. Let the joy of your salvation rise up within you even in your persecution and suffering. He says, though now for a little while, for a season, Peter says, these things will come. But the things that you experience now in light of eternity... In light of what you have ahead of you, don't let it rob you of your joy. He says, though now for a little while. I love those words. 
And many of us that have found ourselves in the place of suffering and testing and trials of life, we're glad when we get to the end of it. We're glad when there are short spurts of trials and testings, aren't we? But how about those ones that go on for 18 years? Those times that we have to be in the sense in the cesspool for a long time and it wants to wear upon your faith. We still need to look back on the same things to be encouraged, to continue to, to go forward in our walks. Though now for a little while, if need be, Peter says, or in other words, if it's God's will that God allows you to be put into the cesspool, to be put into that time of testing. You see, not every Christian is tested in the same way. Most of us will probably never have to stand in a cesspool and sing our worship songs to the Lord. But we may have to in different ways. And the same type of things that some Christians experience will not be the same for others. Peter says, if need be, that God allows you to suffer in this way. That you have been, Peter says, grieved. You have been grieved, past sense, past tense, excuse me, have been grieved by various trials, by, by the heaviness of the trials in your life. Have you experienced that? Being grieved? Experiencing the heaviness of trials in your life? You see, we're not exempt from it, Christians. You know, we praise the Lord that we live in a lot of the freedoms of America that are beginning to dwindle. But we're not exempt from the things that many Christians around the world are experiencing even now. We're not exempt from them. You see, Christians will suffer. All Christians will suffer to varying degrees, but we will also suffer and our faith will be tested. He goes on to say, by various trials, different kinds of trials, different kinds of testings in your life. And then he tells us, what these trials and testings are for. What the benefit of them are to you and to me. He says, verse 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The genuineness of your faith. When your faith is proved. When your faith is tested by fire. Now, Peter says that it's more precious than gold that perishes. He says though it is tested or though it is proved by fire, just like gold is <clears throat> excuse me just like gold is refined in a fire 
And maybe some of us have seen how that is done. How they heat it up and, and how the dross comes in, the impurities come, and they, they refine that gold until it becomes more and more pure. 14 karat gold is 58.3% pure. 18 karat gold is 75% pure. 22 karat gold is 91.6% pure. And 24 karat gold is really 100%, but they say it's 99.99% pure. Gold. The refining process of gold. The refining process of God in your life through trials and tribulations. That you may be found, speaking of a future day, that you may be found to the praise and the honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, it's going to be on that day. It's going to be on that future day. It's going to be on that day when you stand before the Lord. That the the praise and the honor and the glory that's going to be given to you as you have endured much through this life and you stand in that day before the Lord. He will be the one that will give forth the praise and the honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine all the saints that have suffered greatly at the hands of men in this world and Satan himself standing before the Lord in that day? Can you imagine the day that Stephen was stoned and he looked up into heaven, he was received into glory, and he stood before the Lord on that day for him. Peter is wanting to encourage these believers that the persecution that you experience, the sufferings of life, on that day, it's going to bring forth praise, honor, and glory. Verse 8 says, Whom having not seen you love, as we grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, we, we should be growing more and more in love with Him. I've never seen Him with my eyes, but I can tell you today that I'm more in love with Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior than I've ever been. And we should all be able to say that we're growing more and more in love with our Savior. Peter says, though now, in verse 8, though now or in this present state, you do not see Him. Yet you believe. And all of us sitting here this morning are just as assured as those apostles that saw the Lord with their physical eyes. We sit here with great confidence in our heart that Jesus Christ is alive, that He's real, that He's in my... He's changed me. He's alive in me. And I've never seen Him with my physical eyes. Yet I believe. Yet I trust. And not only that, but we rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. 
your rejoicing, your joy. It's, it's encompassed in this glory, this glory that is yet future. When we, are, when we enter into glory in that day, can you imagine how our hearts are going to be overflowing with joy inexpressible, full of glory? Receiving, verse 9, anticipating the end of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Isn't that what it's all about? The salvation of our souls? That He saved us from sin. He saved us from death. The end of our faith. The salvation of our souls. What a day that's going to be. What hope that gives each one of us today. The first thing that Peter wanted these early Christians to remember was the hope and the confidence that they could have in their salvation. He wanted them to know that they had a glorious inheritance. He wanted them to know that they were kept by the power of God through faith. He wanted them to know that in the midst of their sufferings, they could have rejoicing. They could greatly rejoice in the midst of suffering. I think it's a good question that we could ask ourselves, even this morning. Are the things that we learned about our great salvation, are they enough for you? Are they enough to carry you? through the trials and tribulations of life? Is your great salvation, is it holding you? I think it's a good question. The salvation of our souls should bring us joy in our trials. It should compel us forward to the end. But the question is, is it enough? Is the understanding of your salvation enough to bring that kind of joy from your hearts? I think it was for George as he stood there in the cesspool singing worship songs to his God, trusting that something far greater was coming. I think it was. The second thing that Peter wanted those reading this letter to know is that they would would be encouraged that the various trials that they were experiencing, that they were for a little while. That helps, doesn't it? To know that our trials will come to an end at some point. They won't go on for eternity. They do have a stopping point. But have you ever entered into a trial in a good way where you're rejoicing in the Lord? And as the trial continued on, as things even got tougher, as you got pressed even more and more by the trial, you felt yourself beginning to waver in the midst of it. 
And then all of a sudden you found yourself rising up in the midst of that trial with a, with a joy in your heart once again. And when you got to the end of that trial, you were still praising God, still trusting the Lord. You hadn't turned your back on the Lord. You hadn't mistrusted Him. You haven't questioned His Word. And you came through and you said, praise the Lord, I came through this trial victorious. We love it when it happens that way, don't we? But we all know that there are times that we don't come through it so well. We question God's Word. We question His care for us. His ability to take care of the situation. Peter wanted those who read this letter to know that these times of testing, these trials in your life, it'll be for just a little while. The Apostle Paul, who was beheaded for his faith, he wrote these words in 2 Corinthians 4.17. He says, For our light afflictions, he refers to them, for our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The for a moment was Paul's perspective. In light of eternity, they're just for a moment. But the, the, the benefit of them is that they are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, the benefits of it all will be worth it. You see, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of a perspective that we have as to how we allow trials and tribulations and sufferings of life to affect us. Whether we come through them well or we come through them not so well. Whether we come through them with little faith or we come through them with great faith. Whether we see them as a, a, a time that God is working something in me or we see them as what is God doing against me. You see, it all has to do with perspective. Paul went on to say in verse 18, he says, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Having our eyes fixed on the eternal. Not on the temporary things, not on the earthly things, not on just the things that are before us that we don't have enough faith to get beyond, but to have our eyes fixed on the eternal, the heavenly things, the benefits to come. Another question we might ask ourselves do you have that kind of confidence this morning? That the, that the trials, the various trials that maybe you have in your own life now, that you're experiencing now, do you have the confidence that they're for a little while? That they're just for a moment? Are you assured that these trials that you're experiencing, that you will experience in life, 
that they're working for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory? That God could actually use something that just doesn't seem good. And a lot of times they're not good. They're not good, sir. But, but look what God is doing in me through them. And why does Peter call the believers to greatly rejoice in the midst of trials and persecution and suffering? Why? Why does God allow these things to come your way? And by the way, they do have to pass through the hand of God. Whatever has come your way didn't slip by God. They all had to pass through His hand and God allowed it. But He's working something great in you. He knew that George was going to stand in that cesspool. He knew that that Stephen was going to be stoned in that moment. He knew the Apostle Paul was going to be beheaded for his testimony. He knew that Peter was going to be hung upside down on a cross and crucified for his faith. And he allowed it. God allows suffering to come our way. It's for a moment. Are we assured that these trials are working something greater in us? The third thing that Peter wanted them to know is, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. To be grieved means to cause pain. It means to experience grief or distress in your life. To be made sorrowful. To be affected with sadness. To have heaviness or to be sad. To be grieved. We've all been grieved. Some of us might be grieving now. Some of us might be experiencing the heaviness of trials and tribulations now. Whatever that might be. But Peter says, greatly rejoice. He says... And he tells us why God allows it in verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter, he uses this word precious in these two letters eight times. The word precious speaks of something that is valuable. Something that's of worth. And here he speaks of our faith as being more precious than gold. More precious than gold that perishes. Peter understood suffering and so he was well equipped to write about it. He was well equipped to be able to encourage the other believers in their suffering. Like maybe we were encouraged by 
watching George sing praises to his God as he stood there in the cesspool. Gold. Probably all of us have some of it. It's one of the most prized and noble metals known to men. Gold is extremely ductile, which means that a single ounce of gold can be stretched into a gold thread five miles long. Malleability of gold. It's a measurement of how easily a metal can be hammered out into thin sheets. Gold is the most malleable element. A single ounce of gold can be beaten into 300 square foot sheet. I want you to think about gold. You know, gold itself, more valuable than gold, your faith. An ounce of gold can be beaten into a 300 square foot sheet. A sheet of gold can be made so thin that it's transparent. Gold is relatively unreactive. It resists degradation by air, by moisture, or by acidic conditions. This noble metal is a metal that resists corrosion under normal conditions. But it also is still gold. And gold, even as dense as it is, it's the seventh most dense metal on the earth. It's still perishable. But your faith is not. As much as it gets hammered out, as long as it gets stretched out in life, it'll last for eternity. Your faith going on into eternity is more valuable than gold itself even though it's tested. Your faith is tested. It's going it's to come up valuable. It's going to come up from the Lord as praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter, you can look ahead in verse 18 in your Bibles. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from, the, from your aimless conduct received by traditions from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. As valuable as gold is, nothing compares to the precious blood of Jesus Christ your great salvation, that blood that is being sprinkled, so to speak, on your lives every single day. Paul wrote in Romans 8.18, a verse that many of us have memorized because it's helpful to us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time. Paul says they're not even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in you. Be encouraged, Christians, that what God has planned for you in eternity will far outweigh any trials, tribulations, and sufferings of this life. He also wrote in chapter 8, verse 28 of Romans, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are the called according to His purpose. All things. Everything. Everything that comes your way in life. All things work together for the good. God can turn around all things in your life and turn it around for your good. Only God can do that, by the way. To take something that we can't see how it could bring forth any good and turn it around and bring forth good in your life. If you don't have Romans 8.28 memorized, I would encourage you to do that. Romans 8.38 In verse 39 also, for I am persuaded, Paul said, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sounds pretty encompassing, doesn't it? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It sounds like Paul had a pretty good handle on suffering. He experienced it and he encouraged others to persevere through it. James, the half-brother of our Lord, he wrote in James 1, verse 2, he says, My brethren... Christians, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this at the trying of your faith, at the testing of your faith, that it works patience, that it works perseverance in you. And then James goes on to say, and as you're going through it, let that patience have its perfect work in you. Let it have its perfect work. That you may be perfect. That you may mature. That you may grow. That you may be complete and lacking nothing. You see, we need to come to this understanding. It's not something that's automatic. You don't become a Christian and then you understand how God can use trials and tribulations of life for your benefit. It's something that we grow in. It's something by faith that we take on board, that we begin to to realize, you know what, God is using these things in my life to grow me, to give me endurance, to give me that patience and endurance. He sees the final outcome. He's dipping away the dross 
in your life. He's making you more like Him. And that's not always easy. Peter, he also looks back. He tells the believers in this letter, you need to look back. You need to consider how great your salvation was, is, even from the prophets and even from the angels in heaven. They searched into this gospel. They found something incredible, and that was the Old Testament prophets. Look at verse 10. Of this salvation that we're talking about, the prophets have inquired, and they searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Wow. The prophets. They inquired, they searched diligently. They looked in their scriptures of the grace that would come to you and I. Our salvation was a plan of God before the very foundations of the world. God didn't make it up as He went along. He didn't see man fall in the garden and then come up with a plan. This was worked out before the very foundations of the world. He gave these things to the prophets in the Old Testament. But they didn't see clearly what we see as New Testament saints. They didn't see the whole picture. They searched diligently for it, but they weren't able to really grasp what you and I are able to grasp. The grace of God upon our life. His mercy, the salvation that He gives to you and I. God knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. He knew you. He told Jeremiah, the prophet, he says in in chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah. He came to understand. God revealed it to him. Jeremiah, I knew you before you were even placed into the womb. Do you think that applies to you? That God knew you before you were even in your mother's womb? That He sanctified you? That He elected you? That He chose you? That He had a plan of salvation for your life before you even knew it? That plan for your life goes on into eternity. You can rest assured that no matter how difficult things are in life, what God has planned ahead in eternity will far outweigh this. The prophets were told that they inquired and they searched carefully to understand this salvation of grace. 
the prophets of old. They prophesied of a salvation. They prophesied about a Messiah who would come. They prophesied about a Messiah who would establish His kingdom here on earth. They even prophesied of the grace that would come to us. But they didn't fully understand what that grace would look like. They couldn't fully grasp the grace that you and I experience in our walks as New Testament Christians. Daniel said in Daniel 12.8, he says, although I heard, I did not understand. You see, God spoke things to the prophets that they didn't have full understanding about. They said things to the people that were going to be unveiled at a later time. Just like in times events today, not everything was known in the early church to the extent that we know now as we have seen even other prophecies, fulfillment of prophecies fulfilled. But these Old Testament prophets, they were certain of a redemption that was coming. They couldn't fully grasp that redemption. They didn't see it fully. You see, they looked ahead and, and, and they saw that, that, that peak, so to speak, that the cross was sitting on. And beyond that cross, they could see a messianic kingdom that was set up on the next mountaintop. But they couldn't see the valley that was in between, the, the church age, the day of grace that you and I are living in now. They couldn't see that. It was something that was not unveiled to their eyes. It couldn't be understood until the Messiah came. The law came by Moses and grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. I've often thought to myself that it would have been incredible to live in the Old Testament days. To see some of the miraculous works of God how He had done. But even as I ponder how great and, and incredible that would have been to see some of these things, to be witnesses, to be close hand to these things, just think of your salvation in this age of grace, the church age, where God has revealed to you and to your heart and your understanding His grace and this salvation that's going to go on to eternity. You can look back to the prophets. You can look back to the Old Testament and be encouraged. But look what we have. We have the whole picture. We see the valley. They searched carefully in their Scriptures. But they didn't know the identity of the Messiah. They searched diligently in their Scriptures, but they didn't know the timing of His appearance. But when Jesus came, grace and truth came into this world. Verse 11 says, Peter says to them, searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. That's the theme of First Peter. It's the theme of First and Second Peter that suffering leads to glory. 
Our Lord came into this world as the suffering servant. He went to the cross to suffer on our behalf. He was placed into a tomb and He rose from the dead. And He's received up into glory and He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Nineteen hundred plus years of church history. There's a lot of Christians that have suffered in these nineteen hundred plus years and still are today. And the same truths that Peter spoke into the, the hearts and minds of these believers are the same truths that we need to hang on to as Christians today. I asked you at the beginning of Peter a question. Are you ready? It was one of the questions, are you ready? And we have to ask ourselves that question. Am I ready? Am I preparing myself for the things to come? Verse 12 says, To them it was revealed that not to them, excuse me, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, though through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. They ministered these things, these prophets, things to the future generations. Even though they didn't fully grasp, they still ministered the things that God spoke to them. The full light of the truths were not known. We have the Holy Spirit, don't we? The Holy Spirit of God is the revealer of truth, the illuminator of truth. In the former days, God spoke through prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us in His Son. We have God's Holy Spirit living in us, the revealer of truth in our lives. And, and, we're, and these things that we read here, the, the complete work of our redemption, we need to grab it. We need to say, God, reveal it to me in a greater way. Let me walk away from this study so that I'll, I'll know in a greater way what you've done for me. It will prepare you for the things to come. Even the angels themselves, they didn't even have the complete knowledge of the salvation that you and I have. Even the angels themselves. They desired to look into. Angels. That are even if you want to say above those prophets. Created beings by God. Searching and desiring to look into these things. To know the salvation of mercy and grace. 
And you know how the angels were able to see it? You know how it was revealed to the angels to be able to grab hold of it? They started looking at your life. They started looking at you. A Christian. A person that has been by God's mercy and grace saved. That is walking in a world full of trials and tribulations. And they see how you grow in grace. How you walk in grace. How, how God, you know, all the work of grace in your life. They see it. And now the angels look and they go, wow, look what God has done. What an incredible salvation you have. That we can glory in it. That even all the angels in heaven can glory in this great salvation that God has given to mankind. A work of His grace upon mankind. A work of His mercy upon mankind. Next week, we're going to read in verse 13 the word therefore. In light of everything that I just said to you, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I can't wait. If the Lord doesn't come back before next Sunday, by the grace of God, we'll be in verse 13. And Peter is going to spur them on and he's going to spur us on in light of this great salvation that God has given to us. We need to gird up the loins of our minds. Look ahead. Read ahead for next Sunday. Let's have the... um, Worship team, come up. Closes in a song of worship. Even if you're in a time of testing right now, time of tribulation and testing in your life, maybe you're even being persecuted to some extent. Whatever that looks like, that we would be able to raise up our voices right now and true worship of our Lord. Like George. If we have to raise up voices, God, would they be voices that are true? Voices that are sincere? And maybe if we need God to work a work in our heart, maybe there needs to be some repentance in our heart, then I would say, you know what? Set those things right before the Lord before you break out in worship. Ask Him to cleanse you from your whatever it is, your compromise, your sin, to cleanse you afresh, to, to do a work, fresh work in your heart this morning. And then let your worship break forth in your heart. We have an incredible Savior who loves you with an everlasting love, an unconditional love. We shouldn't be afraid to come before Him we shouldn't be able to be afraid to run before him and fall at his feet and just say, God, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? And so let's all stand.